Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello, everybody. My name is Ben Eidelberg. And I'm Emma Strutt. And welcome to episode 11 for the year. Now, thank you so much uh, to all our listeners so far. Uh, Please do remember to subscribe to the channel and share it with your friends and family. Now, today's chat may seem to digress a little from our usual topics, but I think you'll very quickly realize that it's all interconnected with our need for consumption and the impact it has on our planet um, and therefore environmental wellness. So Emma, let's roll. Yeah, so today we have Dr. Rebecca Van Amber joining us. She's a senior lecturer in fashion and textiles at RMIT University in Melbourne. Previously, she was part of the award-winning team at Deakin University that developed an innovative way of colouring jeans which greatly reduced water and energy use. Rebecca is passionate about textile and apparel sustainability, research and development, and brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the conversation today. Um, And Ben, as you said, for our regular listeners, this topic might at first seem a little bit left of centre, but fashion's environmental impact is quite significant and should be an important consideration for anyone that's interested in reducing their environmental footprint and making sustainable choices. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation today, and I hope our listeners are too. Dr. Van Amber, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Rebecca, so we have a lot we're keen to dive into, but let's first start with a little bit about your story and your interest in fashion and, uh, in particular, textiles. Um, So I think I've kind of had a really long and varied career. Um, I've always been really interested in in textiles and fabrics and fashion and sewing, dare I say sewing. I I sort of hate to say sewing because it's sort of a bit of a... um, it sounds a bit old crafty but yeah it sounds a bit old but I'm, it's I'm pretty on trend these days yeah i'm originally from minnesota in the united states and we are very much sort of it's um a lot of people do engage in craft and so you learn how to a lot of people learn how to sew from a really young age and my mom taught me to sew and i always loved it and then i sort of went to um university and realized that you could actually do this as a career and so i you know studied it was called clothing design in Minnesota back then, um, but kind of like I studied fashion design at university and uh, was always really interested in the environment and sustainability. But when I went to university, um, those sorts of conversations around sustainability and fashion were just not happening. Um, so like I sort of did a collection out of organic cotton back then, which was about the only thing you could find really. Um, and then I worked for a couple of years in the industry and sort of realized that i I sort of didn't really want my career to kind of go in that direction. I was working as a a tech designer. So the tech designer is someone who is really in charge of the fit of the garments. And so I was doing a lot of sizing and I was doing a lot of measuring of garments and sort of entering measurements into Excel and um, which was a wonderful experience, a great experience in terms of working in the industry, but not something that I saw myself wanting to do for the rest of my life. So I really kind of totally went off center here and um, decided to do my master's in New Zealand. So, <laughs> oh, I missed that. Yep. I know. Yeah. So at the age of 23, I moved to New Zealand and studied clothing and textile science at the University of Otago to really kind of take my career in a, in a bit of a different direction from where it had been. Um, and so I ended up living in Dunedin for nine years. So I did a master's and a PhD and a, my first postdoc um, down at the University of Otago, really finding that that was kind of my passion was really textile science and um, something that I didn't realize you could really do and kind of blended my love of, of textiles and fabrics with science and you know starting to pursue a little bit in terms of um, environmental impacts and and sort of research because I've, I've always loved science but I've also loved fashion and it, these sorts of things I think for a lot of people don't seem to kind of go together very well but somehow I've, I've I feel like I finally have kind of melded all of my interests together into a career. <laughs> you know when you say there hasn't been a lot out there in terms of uh, research or you know the impacts of textiles in, in um, on, on the environment when I think back, the only documentary I've ever seen 
maybe there's been another one, but the only one was a documentary years ago on the impact of the manufacture of, of genes um, and, and the coloring and, and all the, the, the pollutants that end up in the rivers. But that's pretty much it. But, um, you know, let's take a stock take of the bigger picture here. So with the recent release of the Netflix documentary, Seaspiracy, it's brought to light a lot of issues, including the plastic problem in our oceans. So should we start there before we delve into the world of textiles and what they mean and all that? The impact of plastic in our oceans, where that's at and what, you know, how textiles is contributing to that. And I must apologize, I haven't actually seen Seaspiracy yet, but it's on my list of things to watch. I know it's only just come out and I was sort of doing a bit of traveling over the Easter holidays and things. So it's definitely on my list. Um, But yes, especially um, last year, I watched The Story of Plastic. That was another great documentary. Um, And that really, that really opened my eyes as well. Um, But certainly, I think especially in Australia, there's a pretty good understanding of the fact that microfibers and microplastics are a real problem in the ocean. You know, you think of Australia, um, a lot of the research into microplastics, I think, started here. I think it started in edit by a researcher, and I, I do must I must apologize to the researcher whose name I can't remember. I think they're in New South Wales that sort of started pioneering some of that research into microplastics. And certainly, um, I think Australians as well are very because so many people live so close to the ocean, I think that it's something, it, you know, they, they see that as a very valuable resource. They have a really strong connection with the ocean. And so I think it kind of makes sense that some of that research started here in Australia. Um, but certainly the the effect of, of microplastics, there's just sort of everywhere now. You know, they're, we've, they're in the atmosphere, they're in the Arctic, they're in the ocean, they're there's nowhere on the planet now where there aren't microplastics of some sort. When you start to kind of go down the rabbit hole of how bad is this problem, it's there everywhere. You know, they're in us. Um, I think, and I don't want to repeat the statistics. I don't remember exactly where it's come from. But, you know, we as human beings consume, I think it was estimated to be like a credit card's worth of plastic every year. You know, it's it's in our bodies. It's, in, it's everywhere. Um, and that is kind of scary to think about. And I do, I must, as a scientist, I'm like, oh, I don't remember exactly where that original source was. And I don't want to be sort of, um, you know, contributing to the false knowledge or, you know, citing st- stats that yeah. aren't true. But there's a certain percentage of plastic that we ingest every year as as. And that will vary based on, on how it's ingested. So, if, you know, if someone consumes more fish or sea, seafood, that could likely be higher, um, and then potentially also depending where you live and then how where the water is contaminated or so. So that would vary, of course. So, so it could be worse for some. Absolutely, you know, you're absolutely correct. It would it would definitely vary from person to person depending on your diet. Mm. Yeah, but but a surprising chunk of the microplastics in our oceans are actually from clothes, aren't they? So could Rebecca, could you talk us through the link between the clothes we buy and and, and wash, <laughs> and the plastic pollution that ends up in our waterways? Absolutely, it's very interesting because working in um, in sort of fashion and sustainability, a lot of people are very concerned about. I think the energy and resources that are going into textiles and fashion when they're made. But when you actually look at a life cycle analysis of a garment, a piece of clothing, most of the energy and resources are used during its use or the time that we use it. And mostly that has to do with laundering and washing. So the actual, the energy and the water that's used in a garment's life cycle are generally consumed mostly during the time of its use when it's being washed. And so if you think about, you know, how many times you wash your clothing, um, certainly the wastewater treatment facilities are not, they're not set up to capture microplastics. So all of the microplastics that are sort of coming out of your clothing into your laundry, into your washing machine are then just going straight into waterways. And even though they're going through wastewater treatment facilities, those facilities aren't set up to capture microplastics. So, and because they're microplastics, they're very, very small. Um, they're not really being caught and they're just sort of just going out into um, 
you know, wherever the, the water and the, the effluent is being discharged to, you know, the treated water after it's gone through the wastewater treatment. So why is it actually coming off the garments? Is it something to do with the temperature of the water that we wash it in or, you know, the detergent we use or is it the actual like different types of fibres that the garments are made out of? It actually really has to come down to um, when you're washing your clothing, you're putting it through basically um, an agitation process. Obviously, most people are using sort of a front loader or a top loader. So the way that your clothing is being washed is it's being agitated in the washing machine. So you've got water and you've got your detergent, but then you've got that mechanical action of, say, you know, the tumbling, if it's a front loader or the... Um, this sort of center, I don't know what's called the centerpiece in the in sort of a, an upright um, top loading washing machine has that sort of central agitator. Um, and so that's actually the way that your clothes are becoming clean is that that mechanical action. And so the mechanical action in the washing machine is also causing damage to the clothing. So that's why we get, you know, pills. Um, pilling is a big, it's one of my things that it's, it's a real pet peeve of mine with clothing because there's a lot of reasons for pilling, but a lot of that is really, it's mechanical action. And so what happens is that the clothing is basically, when you're putting it through the washing machine, it's being damaged as part of the cleaning process. And so you actually get sort of little microfibrils and things breaking off the fibers. And it doesn't matter whether it's a synthetic fiber or a natural fiber, you're still going to have some of that sort of damage, basically, and little tiny microfibrils sort of breaking off the different the fibers. So is the intensity of the agitation different, whether it is a front loader or top loader? I mean, you hear a lot about front loaders being more economical in terms of use of water. Um, but is it kinder on the clothes? Are there different um, soaping soap detergents that are worse or kind in terms of the damage it's causing to the fabric or does that also depend on what the textile actually is or what the fabric actually is it's really all of those things so personally i only use a front loader i don't want to use a top loader anymore because of that central agitator it, i my feeling is that it actually does cause more damage to clothing um, it's great if you're w washing a lot of really really dirty things but a lot of us you know i don't think we're unless you're working on a farm and you have a lot of really heavily soiled garments that you're putting into your washing machine that you might need that sort of central agitator. Like for myself, you know, I'm putting things in the wash maybe that, and this is going to sound really bad, probably maybe don't need to be laundered. You know, is it, you know, are you washing things because they actually are, have dirt on them or some sort of particulate matter? Or are you washing things because you think, oh, I've worn that to the gym a couple times and it might be a bit stinky or, you know, it's more of an odor thing than a like an actual dirt. And so that brings up a lot of questions around, are we overwashing our clothes? Are we being too health and hygiene conscious? Um, which are, you know, that's, that's a very cultural thing as well. Um, so this is a conversation that, you know, it's not just about clothing, it's about your health and hygiene and all of those sorts of things that go go in with that sort of discussion um, but yes certainly you can um, I know there's a study that suggests that using a liquid detergent reduces the number of microfibers that are released and after reading that paper I've switched to liquid detergent and which again in my mind it does make sense because if you think about using a powder detergent the powder is kind of it's kind of abrasive exactly and so you would have more of that sort of mechanical abrasive action on your clothing that might contribute to release of it's like toothpaste that has bicarb soda they say it's better mm -hmm. but actually it's more aggressive on your gums and your teeth so it's that same kind of concept of powder versus versus exactly uh, with liquid yeah yeah exactly i mean we're kind of just talking about physics here yeah yeah <laughs> and now going back to the problem of microfibers or microplastic being released, is there not, is, I mean, I guess that's what the definition is, micro, but filters, particular filters that can catch these microplastics, is that something that's been worked on in the industry or is that something we just got to give up and accept because they are micro, they are so small that we can't really capture them? Is, is, is that no, such a thing? absolutely, there's been... Um, a few different companies that have sort of started developing solutions. So the, I think one of the main ones is called the guppy bag. And that's actually the, a bag that you can put your clothes in and then put it in the washing machine. 
and the bag actually catches the microfibers in the bag. Um, and I do believe that you can actually get filters that you can put on your washing machine as well, like the outlet for the water that helps to catch those microfibers. Um, but again, this is all, this is really all coming down to us as consumers and putting responsibility on us to try and address these very widespread problems, which, um, I mean, obviously there aren't a lot of better solutions at this stage. Um, but it's one of the things that I question really myself is what is the responsibility of us as consumers versus the producers of, you know, whether it's, you know, wh where, where, where does the responsibility lie in terms of solving these problems and trying to mitigate the effects? That's but right. certainly like there are things you can do as a consumer. They're small, but certainly, you know, doing something small, I think is definitely better than doing nothing. Um, but, Again, if we want to see a really, um, you know, a huge shift in sort of actually trying to solve some of these problems, I think that's going to take more than just us as an average consumer. It's like the old problem of CFCs, you know, you know, old refrigerators and air conditioning units that used to emit those, those nasty chemicals that depleted our ozone hole, that had to come from the industry because exactly. there's nothing we could yeah. do. So it's kind of a Responsible similar... stewardship of waste, basically. Like if these companies, uh, you know, were more responsible about their products at the end of the life, I'm sure that they would change their actions and production methods. But until there's that well, at the moment, so. when you go shopping for whiteware, so let's say a washing machine, there's now those stickers that show you how economical it is in terms of water usage or power usage, whether it's a fridge and so on. Perhaps that's somewhere down the line where now it's going to say how protective it is or how efficient it is in terms of capturing, you know, all those all those extra elements that we don't want to actually put into our waterways. So, yeah, interesting. Now, another thing that really struck me of interest here is when you said that the most amount of energy that's consumed in terms of a garment is during its wear, during its use. But surely some fabrics or you know whatever the correct term is whether it's it's a textile or however you know you refer to them surely some of them whether they are um, fossil fuel driven or whether it's coming from let's say use the example of leather so you know the animal grazing on the land surely there are some that have to be consuming more energy in that whole production process before we actually wear and wash it almost every day there are yeah. certainly i mean there are differences but it's a bit like there's no black and white like especially in my mind and this is i guess this is probably the thing that's frustrating for my students as well when i talk to them is that there's no one best option so i'm not going to say yes we should all be buying this particular fiber or this particular fabric because there's there's just so many different nuances in terms of their impact and also you know when you, if I said you know oh we should all switch and be only wearing organic cotton well there's simply not enough land to mm. be growing organic cotton for everybody to be wearing organic cotton um, you know especially if you sort of look at the amount of land that's being used for grazing of say animals and you know as the global population continues to grow are we going to be spending you know it's using all of this land to be growing fibers for clothing or are we going to be using that land to be growing food for people you know and if people are hungry obviously you're going to be going well we're going to prioritize using our land for food not for fibers for clothing so and those are the sorts of questions and decisions i think that will be probably starting to be made in coming sort of decades as the population does sort of if as long as we see it continue to grow at the rate that it's growing because yeah. there just isn't enough land to be growing you know we can't all be wearing organic cotton you know there just isn't enough land yeah, or water. so or water exactly and like when we're talking about the washing um there's some really great research that actually was done at the university of otago a bit before me looking at odor and clothing and certainly polyester is the stinkiest like polyester it it does smell if you you know we all think about us you know people that go to the gym you're wearing a lot of polyester t-shirts 
you're getting sweaty, they do stink. You do kind of have to wash them quite frequently. Whereas if you look at something like merino wool, it actually is not as stinky. You know, the, the research is there to to back up those claims about wool and odor. And it's very interesting because it actually has nothing, at least as of yet, there's no link between odor and bacterial populations on the fabric, which is very interesting. So people that are out there spending lots of money on antibacterial fabrics, there's actually, as far as I'm aware, up, you know, in terms of the research to this point, there's still no link between bacteria on the fabric and odor, huh. which is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's never a reason that that could be, but so far I haven't seen the research that suggests the link between bacteria and odor. It actually is the type of fiber with polyester being the stinkiest and wool yeah. being the least stinky. I can certainly attest to that because spending many hours trail running and I used to wear wool and now, you know, it's all polyprops and yep, it's it's got to go in that wash and it's got to be washed well. <laughs> but but the interesting thing, we talk about odor, and odor is generally one of the reasons we probably wash more than we need. You know, you give it a quick sniff test, no, that's going in the wash. But if we, when we go back to the early conversation about pilling, does that not change then the argument in terms of what kind of fabric could be better? Because wool, I find you wear a, wool, a woolen jumper or something, and it's always pilling. There's always a, you know, a fiber coming off just there. Whereas if you're buying, I'm talking about a better quality polyester legging or top, does maybe I don't notice it, you know, but does it pull as easily? Does it, does it last as well? And that's, those are really important questions to be asking. A lot of this comes down to the, the way that the fabrics are made. So there's a couple different ways that pills are formed and some of it is, has to do with the strength of the fiber. So polyester is a very strong fiber um, and generally polyester is a, it's extruded as a filament. So it's one long continuous fiber, um, whereas wool is a little bit weaker as a fiber and it's a shorter fiber because it's coming from an animal. So it's not a continuous filament. So Basically, what happens is when you're twisting these fibers into yarn, because the polyester is, is long, very, very long fibers, you don't have to twist it as much. And because they're quite long and they're quite strong, they're less likely to sort of come out of the yarn um, and escape. Whereas wool being a little bit shorter, it's if you don't twist it really, really highly, the fibers aren't sort of stuck together as well. And so they're more likely to kind of come out of the yarn and form pills. And basically that's what, when you're seeing pills, to me, a lot of times it has to do with the yarn twist, especially, so when I say yarn twist, that's how, how many twists are twisting those fibers together and basically holding them together using friction. Again, we're talking about physics of fibers here. Um, and what happens is that as consumers, a lot of consumers really like soft, fuzzy fabrics. They feel nice. They're nice against the skin. Those soft, fuzzy fabrics are soft and fuzzy because the yarns are not twisted together very well. And so because they're soft and fuzzy, the fibers are much more likely to come out and pill. So it's for I think for a lot of manufacturers, they know that consumers like these sort of what we call a hand feel. So it's a soft hand feel, the soft, the surface is kind of soft and fuzzy, um, especially think about jumpers and socks and things. They feel really nice um, because the fibers are not twisted together very, you know, very tightly. So if you sort of think about like jumpers and things from like the 70s and 80s, they, you think about them being really stiff and kind of hard and they don't feel very nice, but they were very durable. And they still, still last around, around. yeah. They're still around. They're still in the vintage shops, and that is because those fibers and yarns and things were, um, they were a little bit coarser. They're probably twisted together quite quite strongly. They do kind of have, they don't feel as nice. The fabrics are a little bit harsher. Um, they kind of are crunchy, <laughs> but they're still around, so they're still really durable. Mm. So it's really kind of, you're really making these choices between something that's very soft and feels nice and it's nice to wear and durability in my mind and a lot of manufacturers now I think are really moving towards those those fabrics that are soft and it ends up a little bit you see this in terms of clothing like t-shirts and things getting thinner and thinner and thinner and 
I feel like manufacturers feel like that's a desire coming from the consumer for softer and thinner fabrics. But when we are moving towards these softer and thinner fabrics, we're losing durability. And you sort of wonder at what point are consumers going to continue to want to buy the sort of the $10 t-shirt. It's soft and thin, but then it falls apart after a couple of wears versus slightly something more expensive. The fabric is more expensive to make, but it's more durable. It's, you know, it's a thicker fabric. It doesn't, maybe it's not as soft, but the consumer can wear that item for years and years and years and continue to wash it and wear it and all those sorts of things. But that's exacerbated by the fast fashion um, world we live in now. So to pay $10 for a a funky looking t-shirt, I'm, you know, well, not me personally, but, you know, a person is okay because then in six months, great, I've got to buy a new one and I want a new color now because that's the end thing or a different design. So there's kind of a lot of other factors feeding this as well. I presume these um, uh, fibers that are not twisted and, and, you know, as much and not uh, produced or, or, manuf- or these garments are not produced in an in a, in a as much intensive uh, process are not as expensive either. So cheaper to manufacture, sell it cheaper, and then therefore people are more low to pay and get more garments. So it's not helping in terms of that whole goes back to your earlier thing about knowing how to sew i mean that's that's the way of the future you know upcycling and repairing what you have and keeping what you have so there's a lot of other factors i think that's that's contributing to that and of course garments that aren't lasting more ending up in landfill as well exactly it's all it's kind of it's all exasperating and i guess this is kind of one of my earlier points which is that you know as consumers i feel like there's a real lack of knowledge people don't know how to sew anymore so if a button or something falls off the shirt goes to the op shop or hopefully or hopefully not it might just go in the bin because people don't know how to sew on buttons anymore um and so you know being able to repair your clothing is a real it's a real skill and it makes you allows you to wear your clothes for a lot longer um you can tailor things you know that's a really useful skill not a lot of people have that anymore People don't understand as much about laundering and washing. Um, so, you know, if I just chuck everything into the wash and I don't care what colors are being mixed and I'm, you know, I don't really, I'm not paying attention to what detergent I'm using or I'm not putting things, delicate items in a delicate bag, those items are going to wear out more quickly and they're going to end up, you know, in landfill or in the rubbish or, you know, wherever it might be. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I feel like it's kind of, and again, this is not like, it's not the consumer's fault that they don't have this knowledge. It's a cultural, it's a cultural shift. Yeah. So I remember that, um, I don't know if you've seen the war on waste, but there was a really impactful scene where Craig Rowcastle was standing in the middle of Sydney with this huge pile of clothing. Um, and they calculated that 6,000 kilograms of clothes get chucked out every 10 minutes by Aussies, which is just massive. Um, but we do have these larger companies now like H&M and Nike that, you know, they're promoting their sustainability goals and they're saying that they're in favour of circular economic models. Um, is this the way that industry needs to be moving? Is it greenwashing? Are we kind of like falling for it here? What's the solution, do you think? I My personal belief is that the industry is is moving towards greener um sort of greener and more sustainable production definitely and there's a lot of brands that are actually working in this area and it's very interesting because i don't feel like they're not communicating it to their customers Um, and part of that i think is fear because they're worried that if they're that if they start to say we're trying to do this you know we're trying to be more sustainable um i were i think that they feel like people will be like oh well you're not you know you're not doing perfectly yet and so they're going to actually get negative feedback and when in fact we should be commending them for at least starting on the journey and taking baby steps because it's not going to happen overnight i mean you can't shift a complete an industry to be completely sort of sustainable overnight it's going to be a slow process Um, and so i know that there are brands out there that are actually taking a lot of steps but they're not communicating that with their customer yet Um, and my personal feeling is that any brand that isn't engaging on this journey is not going to be around in the future 
But what does sustainability in the industry actually mean? So you've got companies like Adidas who have been communicating about all their shoes at some point will be made from recycled plastic. And we're seeing that with outdoor brands, bags, you know, it's this is made with from five bottles or from 20 bottles or, and so on. Is that actually a sustainable model? Is that taking plastic, having to break that down into a manner that you can then repurpose and reuse to create a garment? Is that actually, from an energy point of view, from, from a whole processing point of view, is that actually helping or is that creating a new problem? I actually think that it's helping. I mean, I, again, I don't think the systems are perfect. And especially in New Zealand and Australia, we don't really have yet the infrastructure to be doing these sort of take back and collecting and recycling. Um, but I do, I think it's really encouraging that some of these big companies like Nike and Adidas are starting to have this conversation. And I think it would be wonderful to be able to buy a pair of Nike runners and then be able to send them back to Nike and ensure that they get made into another pair of shoes or some other sort of valuable product. Um, because again, it seems like in in terms of local governments, we're not seeing that that policy and infrastructure coming from sort of you know the the government isn't doing it. And so the, again, it's where does that responsibility lie? You know, pr- traditionally it's been falling on the consumers. Now we're seeing brands start to take more of that responsibility on, which is great. Um, But I think it would be even better if we were seeing it from a higher level again, a bit like the CFCs, you know, why were we able to make such quick action or why were we able to make such change on CFCs, not just from one country, but on a global stance, whereas we're, you know, we're dealing with a lot of other problems, which I think are probably just as large as CFCs, but it kind of, I don't know if it's because we're the people are not able to see microplastics because you know it's so small and we don't we don't understand the scale of the problem or it's kind of we don't know exactly what the negative effects are i mean we know that there's negative effects on sort of microorganisms and aquatic life for sure but we don't actually know necessarily what the effects of microplastics on humans are and or we haven't seen them yet i mean i i'm not 100 percent sure what they are yet but i'm assuming that there are some we just haven't seen it yet so and what about um the suppose i say suppose it because uh, you know i don't know hence why i'm asking but the claims of even more sustainable uh fibers like say bamboo now seems to be the latest trend but you know (laughs) there's all sorts of others i mean hemp and and i mean we've had linen and cotton that have been around for a very long time but bamboo seems to be the latest and then when there's claims of you know, this is the way forward, it's it's this sustainable, That's it's all those keywords. Again, <laughs> if we were recording this visually, our listeners would actually see the, the reaction on your face when I said that. <laughs> oh, bamboo. Oh, bamboo is my favorite. Um, I won't make my terrible dad joke that I make for my... Oh, no, please do. <laughs> or use it as um, the outtake. Yeah, it's like, if you're buying bamboo, you've been bamboozled. <laughs> Boom, boom. That's bad. There we go. That's really bad. My students are sick of hearing that one. Um, So bamboo has been a really successful marketing um, ploy as being sustainable. Uh, If you're buying something that's marketed as bamboo microfiber, you're just buying viscose. So viscose is probably one of the earliest. um, It's not a true synthetic. It's called a semi-synthetic fiber because it is produced, you can make viscose out of anything cellulose. Traditionally, viscose is made out of wood pulp, which is why viscose is not a very, it's not a sustainable, traditionally has not been sustainable because a lot of companies were basically cutting down old growth forest and turning the wood into wood pulp, the same as you would start the paper making process, but they're basically dissolving the wood, creating a basically just cellulose and then they're able to extrude that cellulose as fiber. So they're making, it's called a semi-synthetic. It's any type of cellulose can be dissolved and extruded as fiber. I always thought it was just fiber. another fancy word for polyester, but okay, so it's, no, it's, it's very different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so if you see something rayon and viscose, yeah. those are the two main um, types of 
sort of generic terms that you would see on a label. Yeah. Tencel is the same, except Tencel. So Tencel is only made by Lensing, is the company that owns the IP around that. And Tencel is the rayon and viscose process, but they're able to recover all the solvent or like 99.9% of the solvent that they're using to dissolve the cellulose. And Lensing also, um, I believe that they sustainably manage their forests. So they're not sort of cutting down old growth trees and making it into Tencel or Lyocell. But that's, it's kind of, it's basically the same fiber, but it's a more sustainable process. But so at the you... end of it, oh, sorry. Oh, go no, on. go ahead. So a bam... <laughs> when you see bamboo, basically it is probably, it probably has come from bamboo as the source of the cellulose, but it's still been put through the same rayon and viscose making process. And it doesn't have, I mean, after it goes through that process, it's not going to have any inherent antibacterial properties or whatever they're marketing it as bamboo. It is still just rayon or viscose. It's just come from bamboo as the feedstock. So is it sustainable because bamboo supposedly needs less water, it grows really fast, easy to replenish. So is that really where that claim is coming from? But the production of a viscose fiber, that still sounds to me very energy intensive. So it's a whole manufacturing process. It is. It is. And there's also, um, I mean, certainly it's it's better to grow bamboo than it is to be cutting down old growth forest. But when you have giant plantations of bamboo, you also start to have issues around, um, you basically have monocultures, you have yeah. lack of biodiversity. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, again, it's about making those tough choices as a consumer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if you... If you want to buy, if you like bamboo, just just it's about being having the the consumer having the knowledge to know that this is still just viscose or rayon. It's probably come from a bamboo um, feedstock, and perhaps it's better than old growth forest. But is it better than say a sustainably managed store forest? I don't know. But again. As consumers, we don't have that sort of information to make these sorts of choices. You know, that's not on the swing tag. It's not on the label. We just don't know. Yeah. What What about at the end of its life, though? So once the garment's chucked out and is in landfall, uh, landfill, does it break down properly or with all of the processes that it had to go through to actually be created, does that kind of hinder the biodegradableness of it? Well, my argument would be that nothing in landfill is breaking down because yeah, of the types of conditions enough. that are in the landfill. So if you so, put a T-shirt in a hole in the garden, <laughs> would that would that break down, basically? It would, but do you want the, the dyes and the other yeah. one of 8,000 mm. different textile chemical auxiliaries in there breaking down and in, being in your garden as well and leaching into wastewater? Absolutely, yeah. On, on that point, um, let's talk about genes and that really interesting program that you were involved in when you were at Deacon because genes are quite water intensive with all the dyes and the effluent from that. Um, could you tell us uh, a little bit about that circular denim project that you were involved in? Absolutely. Um, so we were actually taking, we were taking old genes and we were essentially uh, making them into a really fine powder. And it, the powder that was resulting from the genes was blue in color. So we were using that powder as a pigment and then basically coating and recoloring new genes through a pigmentation process. So pigments are different from dyes. Dyes are chemically bonding with the fiber, um, whereas pigments are a colored particle that you actually have to basically glue or adhere to the surface of the fabric. And both are used commonly in textile production um, but basically we were making a kind of an, a pigment from old denim jeans that's very cool um, because I read somewhere please correct me if I'm wrong but to color a pair of jeans usually you need to use about 200 liters of water and with the way you're doing it no need no need exactly we were um, we were just using it we were yeah making this sort of a coating I would call it a coating we were coating old um, new jeans with with the old genes yeah absolutely so it definitely cuts down on the water used in the dyeing process yeah very cool um we need more of these kind of innovations in the fashion industry that can be scalable <laughs> well absolutely and i know there's it's um and i don't want to quote the company because there's a couple of different really amazing quite sustainable 
um, denim companies in Australia who are doing a lot of really wonderful work in terms of, you know, ethical production and sourcing. And um, and I forget who it, who it is that says that we shouldn't be washing our denim at all. We should just be putting our jeans in the freezer. In the freezer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and, you know, that's... Um, and there's a lot of people that sort of ascribe to that that notion of, you know, we shouldn't be washing jeans at all, which is, you know, in, in terms of cutting down the the energy production. And it really does happen in the garments sort of use phase is what I'm calling it. So if you're putting them in the freezer instead of putting them in the washing machine, you're not releasing any microfibers and you're absolutely cutting down on the water that's being used. So I think that's a great innovation. I just don't know. I mean... <laughs> don't want jeans in your freezer Ben well it's it's I mean yeah I don't know I mean if it's jeans then why not your cotton t-shirts and your jumpers and then you end up buying a bigger deep freezer to put all your clothes in and and then you're using energy and it's it really is it really is that it's just about make trying to make more informed choices and again as consumers I feel like and I'm a scientist as well so I'm like I want all the information and not the information isn't quite all out there yet. I mean, even though I work in research and I have access to a lot of information, for, even for myself, I feel like we don't quite have the complete understanding of the picture yet in order to make the best choices. Yeah, um, We're starting to get that information, but we don't have everything yet. Because it's such a there's, – there's so many – aspects to it you know if you look at the wicked problem yeah there's there's um you know there's leather wool silk that's been around for centuries but then there's questions about the ethical you know side of things in terms of how animals are treated etc and also um especially when it comes to leather in in many respect um you know the the uh, impact it has on the land water and so on and then you go to things like cotton where there's the argument of your cotton versus your your general cotton versus organic cotton. And then you've got all these other um, natural, well, now whether you, you know, this viscous apparently now, so bamboo and hemp and so on, <laughs> versus the synthetics, your polyesters, your lycra, that is fossil fuel driven. Um, so each one takes a different journey. Well, we want to definitely reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, but we also want to reduce our impact on the land in terms of water consumption and then the impact on the water in return. We want quality, but we want comfort. How do we make a choice? How do we, you know, I've, and I'm I'm pretty stoked as well. I think, you know, in the past, sometimes we get caught up in, in fashion and, and we're buying more than we need. So now I do want to make a more conscious not necessarily have to pay more money, but I'm prepared to pay more money if that garment's going to stick around for longer. But I'm still faced with, okay, this is made with recycled bottles. Okay, so I'm, I'm making, I'm doing good. You know, I'm helping solve a particular problem, but am I actually exacerbating another problem? Or do I, you know, how do I make a decision? How, how do I choose a better, make a better choice here? And that's a really good question. I think that's a question many of us are asking ourselves, even, you know, myself working in fashion industry and obviously being a person who's always liked to engage in fashion. How do you make a better choice? Um, And it's very interesting that you bring up hemp as well, which is something that I'm very interested in. But because of the nature of hemp, it's very only certain places are growing it. It's very hard to do research on it. Um, I think that that's a fiber with a lot of potential that is has some barriers to overcome around, you know, because of the nature of the plant and everything. Um, but hopefully we'll see more hemp in the future, especially in America as things are starting to become more legal there. We'll hopefully see more hemp grown because I think that could be a nice alternative. Um, so, yes, yeah, so these sort of new fibers that per, per, perhaps in the, fa- in the past we've not seen as much of, hopefully we'll see more of those. Um, but certainly for myself, um, obviously the best choice is not to buy anything new if you can avoid it. So if you don't need it, don't buy it. I mean, again, it's, you know, fashion is a very, it's, I think it's very normal for us to want to engage in fashion as, as humans. We need to wear clothes. You know, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to buy anything for the rest of my life. You know, that's, that's not very feasible. Um, but, you know, if you can avoid buying it, obviously that's the best choice, but you know, you don't want to say we want to take down the fashion industry either. Obviously, this is an industry that I work with, 
So we still want to have a fashion industry, but if we all stop buying stuff that affects the industry and workers and, you know, it's a whole host of, of problems. Um, buying secondhand, if you can, certainly. If So if you don't, don't need it, don't buy it. But if you do need it, if you can buy it secondhand, certainly that's a great option. Or renting it. Um, if you are going to buy it, then I guess, yeah, trying to do a bit of research and find, you know, buying from a company that does have some ethical or sustainable values that you align with and then using it for as long as possible. You know, if it's something does happen, if it gets a hole or a tear or whatever, then trying to repair it and continue to use it as long as possible. And then at the end of its life, if you don't want it anymore, can you give it to a friend? Can you donate it? Um, can you still keep it in the system to be used for as much, you know, as long as it possibly can be or, or turn into something else, upcycled or recycled? The last thing we want to do be doing is putting these textiles in landfill, um, especially, you know, especially things that are, you know, have, are perfectly good still. You don't, want, you don't want to wear something once and then throw it in the landfill. To me, that's just an absolute waste of resources. Um, so we want to try and hang on to these resources as much as possible. Um, so, yeah, but it is a really difficult question. Yeah. A lot of our listeners will know, though, that uh, for the past probably nine years, and now it's part of what we do here at the Lentil Intervention, but we do do an appeal, have done an appeal, and it's soon going to be a more of a continual thing, but we do collect sports shoes and uh, sports gear and um, donate that to the, sort of the higher deprivation low, in, um, low income communities and schools so that is a way of contributing and you know uh, sort of a, 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 uh, ensuring there's continuity with the product rather than going straight into into landfill so that is something that we're, we're trying to be conscious of now we've been talking a lot about textiles and fashion but what some of us might forget is that fabrics and so on is actually everywhere else. I mean, we're all, I think all three of us are sitting on a chair that's probably got some kind of fabric. Um, you know, it's in homes, it's transport on trains and planes and cars. Tea and bags. <laughs> and tea bags. Now, um, there is, I know you've spoken about this before, but that was fascinating is the amount of microparticles and nanoparticles that's released from a single cup of tea if you're using a tea bag that was a there was a, a paper that was published um and it was specifically looking at those pyramid the kind of fancy pyramid bags in particular like your your sort of old school tea bags i don't think the the ones that are sort of made of paper don't release as many microfibers it's really those fancy little pyramid sort of like higher end tea bags that i think release it was like 70,000 microfibers in a single cup of tea or none of it was quite scary quite actually yeah and after reading that paper i was like i'm not going to be buying any more of those <laughs> those pyramid tea bags i'm a big i'm a huge consumer of tea yeah. um, and now i try to sort of i've been doing sort of in the last year especially working from home i drink a lot of loose leaf tea now and just avoid the tea bags altogether but textiles are all around us um, especially in you know you think of those blue chucks those sort of cleaning cloths and now in the beauty industry think of all the sort of like you know face wipes and face masks and all of these kind of disposable oh, baby wipes you know all of these sorts of things that are really prevalent through us through our lives and a lot of it is around convenience you know and a lot of it also is around health and hygiene and certainly in the last year the disposable masks yeah. I mean, you guys are in in New Zealand, so maybe you haven't quite seen as oh, many. I mean, I'm here in Melbourne, it. I'm seeing it just on just, a little bushwalk. Exactly, the they're road. just everywhere now. Those disposable masks, yeah. um, and so the a lot of it is around health and safety. Like the amount of textile waste that comes out of a hospital every day, you know, nurses switching gowns between patients, um, bedding, all of those really very you know important health and safety mm. items. You know, basically, it's a biohazard. So, what do you do with it? So, yeah. there's just the, this. You know, when we talk about textile waste, it goes so far beyond fashion. You know, carpets, industrial carpets, carpets for offices and buildings, are one of the biggest contributors of textile waste to landfills. 
And the you know, retail industry as well. I mean, that's the industry mm-hmm. I've worked in for years, doing a lot of corporate retail rebrands and refurbishments and so on. And, and it's amazing. Um, I don't know if your time when you were studying here in New Zealand, but the National Bank, which is a bank that uh, out of Lloyd's, well, owned by Lloyd's and then got taken over by ANZ. But in the era of the National Bank, their carpets and their retail branches were, were wool, woolen carpets. And because of the rebrand, you had to go in and change the look and feel, including the carpet. And you were taking out 20-year-old carpet that still looked brand new and putting in this cheap, synthetic carpet tiles that after three years just looked horrible. So again, this higher turnover of, you know, needing to replace. And yeah, I can imagine. I mean, when you're doing corporate fit-outs, commercial buildings... The amount of carpets that will come out of that. Oh, exactly. And the sort of the other thing that really is kind of one of my latest sort of little pet peeves is t-shirts for events, like single one-off use t-shirts or t-shirts for brand. I don't know. Like, I'm covering like- up my t-shirt right now. <laughs> I am wearing a 50% cotton, 50% polyester event t-shirt, which oh, I, I honestly <laughs> thought I was getting 100% cotton. And then when I found it was a mix, but then I don't know—is it better or not? So yeah, about hundred percent right. Yep, events. Yep. You know the the branding, and the, it's not just you know it's it's everyone has these sort of one-off T-shirts to mm. you know whether you're using it to signify people working at the event, or yeah. you know, and there's brands that do it as well. If they're doing promotions. There's the the T-shirt with the latest promotion of whatever it is. I don't want to point out any brands. I don't want anyone to get. You know, get We're all guilty. Me, but, We're all guilty. You know, it's it's those sorts of um, things that in the, in the past have been very much, um, it's been very normal. And now I think it's, it's good for us to start to just rethink them a little bit and say, do we really need this? Yeah. Um, is there something else? Is there another way that we can convey this information that perhaps is less um, likely to end up in the bin or is, you know, I, I don't know. I just, there is an event um, <laughs> company that um, it's just popped into my head now. They've, um, I think they are aligned with a, it's out of the UK, a charity organization, I think they're charity, um, called Tees for, Tees for Trees. So when you enter an event, you have the option of opting out of getting an event t shirt, taking the box, and instead the money they would have used to purchase that t shirt to give to you will go to that organization to plant a tree. So there is a little bit of awareness around that. And to be fair, I personally do benefit from these event t-shirts because some event organizers I'm aligned to, um, their leftover merchandise they give to me to donate to the schools. Again, it's kind of dealing with one problem rather than let's, let's rather avoid it in the beginning, like you say, rather than, oh, we've got a, a weekend away. Let's make some t-shirts too, you know. And then it ends up in the bin, like you say. So, yeah, it's it's that fast fashion, high consumerism approach in terms of, well, is there actually a bigger purpose to to what you're spending your money and 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 acquiring? But I mean, all of these kind of, I I feel they're all part of a larger conversation around sort of shifts in values and things that we're seeing in a sort of a cultural change and things happening in society. And part of that could be that, you know, I, I live in Melbourne, I work in a university, and I'm sort of surrounded by very much like, like-minded like people. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's good to see people start to ask these questions and just have these conversations and not be taking them for granted anymore. And that I think, I feel like for me, that's a good way that, um, you know, the, the information is being disseminated. Because, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I'm very biased. I work in a university, but I think any more, you know, anytime we can increase our knowledge and understanding and the more information we have, the better choices we're able to make. Yeah, perfect. And I think it is slowly filtering through. I know personally more people that are using that Good On You app and they're looking at that Baptist World Aid ethical uh, fashion report each year when it comes out. So we're getting there. It just would be great if we could get there a little quicker. <laughs> exactly. And it is, It is. you know, It for me, it, it really is a challenge in terms of infrastructure. The the industry in the past, you know, it's just been business as usual for many, many years now. And suddenly um, consumers and brands are wanting quite a rapid change. And certainly changes are happening. You know, a lot more manufacturers are offering sustainable fabrics. Um, you know, there's definitely really been a, a shift in terms of for 
you know, designers and brands and makers that want to source more sustainable fabrics. They have many more options now than they did even five years ago. And I think we'll just continue to see that to grow, which is wonderful. Um, but, you know, it's also doing that consumer education part of the piece as well. Yeah. And unsubscribing from all those sale emails that yep. land in your inbox. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if we were to put you on the spot and ask, what do you think would be a good all-round option in terms of from your leather wools to your cottons to your synthetics and so on? If there was one fabric that kind of poked its head up above the rest, what do you think would be a good all-round if, if there is such a thing in terms of the production, the energy consumption to its wear, uh, durability to the, the polluting sort of aspect on the other side of that? I honestly don't know. And I'm sorry, that's a, not a cop-out. It, lit, there, it Literally, in my mind, yeah. there is no one best answer. It just shows how... Yeah, every single fabric, every single fiber has... There's an advantage and a disadvantage in terms of either its production or its use or its energy consumption. Like, I love linen, but then you have to iron it, you know, <laughs> and so that's another level, you know, that's energy yeah, production. Yeah. And wool is great. But if you're a vegan, you're not going to wear wool and it does, you know, there's a lot of uh, water that's used in the growing of the wool and the dyeing and the process and the cleaning of wool. Um, but if you buy wool, then you can wear it and wear it and wear it. You don't have to wash it as often, which is great. And really high, you know, high quality wool products will last you for years, yeah. which I love. Yeah. I've, um, I've still got tops that I don't buy any more animal based products, but I've still got icebreaker mm -hmm. tops that I've had for over 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I love I love Tencel as well. Um, I think Tencel is great, but yeah. sometimes it can be hard to find Tencel items and sometimes they're not as durable. So it's really, you know, it you're really making those making those trade-offs, which is is really challenging. So it comes um, down to that particular company manufacturing that garment. So mm. there could be organic cut cotton versus another one doing organic cotton but there's ethical issues with the one or the way they manufacture or the quality it just comes down to the quality in terms of the what do you call it the denier the density of of the or the thickness of the exactly the thickness of the fabric yeah so i think i mean as a consumer the there's probably no one best option so i would say you know do research into your brand and also if you're concerned if a brand you know if there's a brand that you love and they're not communicating anything about their sustainability or their production, email the brand, you know, and that's how they will know then that you as their consumer is interested and are hoping that they are engaging with these issues. And that's how we can see brands start to change as well when they're getting lots of emails from their consumers going, you know, how sustainably sourced are your fabrics or are you producing in an ethical way or, you know, having these conversations that puts pressure on those brands to say, oh, I actually need to start engaging in these issues or they can be, you know, we're already on this journey, but we just haven't been communicating to you yet because we don't feel like we're at a position where we feel comfortable communicating with you because we're still just sort of taking baby steps, but at least they're engaging. Hmm. So yeah. I think that's a very important point. Make some noise. Don't just vote with your wallet, but actually make some noise. So people know that you are interested in this issue. Yeah. Exactly. And just a note on the on the our inability for most of us to to not know how to sew, um, and, and this is both in New Zealand and Australia. There, there's a lot of wonderful little uh, self-owned businesses and, and retail strips where you know little go up the stairs, out the back, and there's someone that repairs garments and bags and and shoes and so on, and it costs as little as ten bucks to you know redo hem or or I mean I've taken stuff where seam is split, but I love the top and so. You know, like you say, these other ways of of keeping our garments. There's people that will do it for us, and it's inexpensive. Absolutely, and it's great. It's you know, you're supporting your local small business as well, mm. and certainly, you know, things like a split seam. That's a very easy fix. You know, and that's something. You know, if the seam splits or the hem falls down on your trousers, those things can be fixed very, very quickly. They're very simple repairs. So it's about yeah, finding your local yeah. tailor. Um. Dr. Rebecca Van Amber, this has been uh, a really enlightening conversation, very different to our last few guests where it's been very doom and gloom. And <laughs> um, But, you know, I think what's important to note is that 
um, the way we consume, and this is a, a theme that's becoming more and more apparent, is having a tremendous impact on our planet in terms of the resources we need to derive to create a garment, to the way we Cons- uh, well, I was going to say consume, we're not eating it, but the way we're using it, washing it, um, and looking after and the, what we do at the end of its life cycle. So, you know, this has been a very valuable lesson that it's not just about the big ticket items, it's even every day what we're sitting in right now and wearing the decisions we can make um, in terms of the garments we're purchasing. We can take action by, like you say, even reaching out to some of these companies and and. Um, then you have an ethical connection perhaps to, to that company because you want to support the good work they're doing. So thank you so much for shedding such a, a, a you know insight into a fascinating topic that no one really knows about other than maybe the label on the inside of the garment. Still don't know what that means. So um, <laughs> thank you so much. It's, it's, really, it's really nice to have conversations like this, very different but still very valuable. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been my pleasure. Um, again, it's, I know that it's, my knowledge is very, um, I hate to use the word niche. It's not a lot of people that know a lot about fabrics. So it's, yeah. it's wonderful to come and try and help communicate that and hopefully not overwhelm with the science. <laughs> so thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. 